are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Nehemiah's prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said that those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Thank you, Mark. I'm wondering what aspect of the game you're going to pay attention to today. Maybe some of us are people who pay attention to the commercials, and some people pay attention to the game. Isn't it funny that commercials are sometimes a bigger deal during the Super Bowl than the football game? Or maybe you pay attention to the game, or you're there for the party, aka the food, which would be where I land. I don't know about you, but Super Bowl snacks are great, aren't they? I admit that I am mostly concerned about the party part of this situation. And as a little girl, this goes way back, as a little girl, when my dad was watching football, he could become very zoned into the game. Now, generally, my dad was good at paying attention to me. But when he was watching football, it took some extra effort. And so I would go in front of the TV and hold up my blankie so that he would pay attention to me and stop watching the game. This did not go over so well, as you can imagine. But I must also admit to you today that my dad was not very empathetic when I came home from middle school and I had not done very well on the written football test in gym class. He said that was my own fault because I would not watch the game, and I would put my blanket in front of the TV. So he had no empathy for me. Relationships are built by paying attention, aren't they? When we focus our attention and our present, there is something that happens that strengthens the relationship, whether it is with a friend, kids, a spouse. Think about the things that make you feel noticed. 
maybe you've heard the term active listening. If you Google this term, the first step is just paying attention. It's getting rid of the distractions and focusing on the person who is right in front of you. One of the things that we heard on Sunday nights at the Building Your Marriage for Life sessions was that around 80% of our communication is nonverbal. And this applies across the board to relationships with coworkers, friends, neighbors, teachers, everyone. For example, eye contact would be one nonverbal that is really important in communication. If I'm trying to talk to someone and they aren't making eye contact or looking at me, I don't feel like they're listening to what I'm saying. And screens are just one example of many of the distractions that we are allowing to steal our ability to pay attention. Have you considered that strengthening our relationship with God involves paying attention? I believe that many of you are here today in part because you have chosen to set aside this time this morning to simply pay attention to God. And if we press a little deeper, I wonder if you are here because there's something in your life that you want God to pay attention to. Maybe you've tried to get God's attention for a long time and you've gotten discouraged because it seems like your cries have been met with silence. Like you held up the blanket and your heavenly father walked out of the room. Or maybe you've received some bad news and you're not sure where to turn. And maybe you're here simply longing to be noticed by someone, to be in relationship with other people and with God. I've been there with you. And this morning, as we step into this passage, I invite you to hold those questions and concerns and wonderings together. And as we turn to scripture, we turn our attention to God. We look at Nehemiah chapter 1. And as we step in these opening verses, Nehemiah's brother Hanani delivers some disheartening news from Jerusalem. The city has been burned. The walls and the gates are in disrepair. What's more, the external state of Jerusalem is an indicator of the internal state of the people. The last couple of weeks, we have been in the book of Ezra, talking about the return of the exiles and their attempts to rebuild the temple after the destruction of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. While God's people began with a fresh start, they became distracted by the things of the world, and they were breaking God's commands left and right. Ezra the priest stepped in, working to help redirect them toward obedience, but there was still so much work to do. So Nehemiah receives this bad news, and he is overcome with grief. We read that he sat down and wept. Said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We can all relate to hearing these things, can't we? We all had experiences, phone calls, text messages, newspaper headlines, when we receive bad news. We've all heard these things that cause us to fall on our knees and simply weep. And we know what it is to hear of tragedy or experience a loss and to be so overcome with grief that it engulfs us. And here it is recorded that for some days, Nehemiah 
walked through grief. These some days lasted for many months. Nehemiah received the news about Jerusalem in the month of Kislev. And in our calendar, this will be like November, December time period. And according to this book, Nehemiah is in this place for many months before he moves forward. If you look at chapter 2, the first verse of chapter 2 tells us that it's the month of Nisan. And that would be about March or April in our calendar. So you figure from about four to six months, Nehemiah is in this place. These some days become a long period of crying, fasting, and praying. And out of all those months of prayers, we have one that's recorded. Nehemiah gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to ask for the attention of the God of the universe. And he begins by acknowledging who God is. He's the Lord. He is the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. While we might call on someone's name to get their attention, I think that what Nehemiah is doing here is even more significant because he is calling out to a God who is already paying attention. He isn't offering up prayers to a distant and distracted God who needs us to vie for his attention. Instead, in acknowledging who God is, Nehemiah is turning his heart and his mind towards God. By stating who God is, he's actually taking the attention off of himself and the situation that he's in, and he's reorienting his focus. He's saying, God is God, and I am not. This sounds very much like the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer that we read from the Beginner Bible this morning. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. It's caused me to ask the question, how often do I start my prayers with I instead of you? Think about this. By naming who God is, we move the attention off of us and we direct it towards the one who deserves all of our attention. What if we began talking to God by simply stating who he is? Remembering who God is and what he has done is humbling and it puts us in a posture of paying attention. When Nehemiah says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant before you day and night, Nehemiah is not praying to a God who is far away. He is seeking the face of a God who is close to the brokenhearted, a God who created everything and keeps his promises, a God who is so awesome and mighty, and a God who chooses to be in relationship with his people. This is the God that Nehemiah knows, and so it should not surprise us when Nehemiah's prayer moves from praise to asking for forgiveness. Praising God for who he is causes us to see our need for God and our own shortcomings. Nehemiah's recognition of who God is leads him to confession. He's not holier than anyone else who is following God. He acknowledges that his own sin is part of the problem. 
And so individually and corporately, he confesses to God that he and his people have acted wickedly. They have disobeyed God and walked away from the law that was given to Moses. And when we see clearly who God is, we see our sin even more clearly. We see how very far we are from God. And overcoming that barrier is like trying to jump from one side of the Grand Canyon to the other. No matter how good of a long jumper you are, you will never make it on your own. Nehemiah continues his prayer by asking God to remember the promise that he made to the Israelites. I love this picture of a God who gathers his people. They're scattered and Nehemiah prays, God, remember your promise to gather your people. And it's important to notice when we're reading and we see repetition, Nehemiah comes to the end of the prayer, and again, he says to God, let your ear be attentive. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention, God, to your people. And he has one final request that follows. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man was the king, King Artaxerxes. And after months of praying and fasting and pondering what he should do, Nehemiah was going to act. He was going to go to the king and ask if he could leave to return to Jerusalem and help rebuild it. He's going to need the time off of work, He's going to need expensive resources and travel protection as he goes. This reminds us that in prayer, just as much as there is a place for praise and asking for forgiveness, there is also a place to ask God for what we need. What are the chances that Nehemiah is going to get an audience with the king to request all of these things? There's one important sentence Mark read at the end of that chapter that we cannot overlook. It says, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. I was like, well, what does a cupbearer do anyway? Cupbearer's job was to taste the wine before the king drank it to make sure that it was not poisoned. Sounds like a high-risk job, doesn't it? But it also gave Nehemiah direct access to the king. And as cupbearer, while Nehemiah had access to the earthly king, it paled in comparison to the influence he had because he understood that he had access to the king of kings. When we read Nehemiah 1 and we miss Nehemiah's role and vocation, I think we are missing an important part of what God is drawing our attention to as we read Nehemiah. He's not a priest like Ezra. He's a government worker who is employed by a foreign king. And as he's been praying and seeking the Lord, he determines that he cannot stand by any longer, but he must go to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he becomes a building contractor who works alongside Ezra, who's a scholar and a teacher. And Nehemiah works with bricks and mortar, and both roles are needed. And we see that God's hand is on them both. I wonder how many of us have been reluctant to pray because 
We don't really think it's our thing. In our world, we have separated the sacred and the secular. And I think that's played a part in determining who is really best suited for prayer and who is not. Well, pastors pray. Well, people who are trained on the prayer team pray. Me? No. Determining who can pray effectively and who can't is not the only way that we have complicated prayer. When Jesus said, let me teach you to pray, he did it in one short lesson to a group of fishermen and tax collectors. And he started by telling them, you don't need a bunch of long words and a special voice. You just have to talk. In fact, the entire prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is the one that Lena read for us this morning in the beginner Bible. Last week, Bjorn challenged us to pray a one-sentence prayer that Ezra prayed. God, may your hand be on me. An effective prayer is not dependent on the length of words that we use. It's not dependent on our vocation, what we do for a job, our age, or being good enough. Prayer is about simply turning our attention to Jesus. Dallas Willard, an author and theologian, wrote, Prayer is talking with God about what we're thinking about and doing together. I love that definition of prayer. Doesn't it make it seem so much more accessible? If prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together, what do we do with the people in our lives all the time? We talk to them about what we're doing together. And that's what we get to do when we come to God in prayer. Dallas Willard makes a distinction between developing a prayer life, which you might have heard, And this kind of gives the connotation that prayer is a segmented time set aside. And if we don't do it often enough or long enough, we feel like we have a terrible prayer life. And he also says that we should turn and instead of our prayer life, establish a praying life. A praying life is a life saturated with prayerfulness. A life saturated with prayerfulness. What if we stepped into, instead of a prayer life, we stepped into a praying life? A life where we get to talk to God about what we're doing together. For six months, Nehemiah talked to God about what they were doing together. And when it was time, Nehemiah took the next step with God. He didn't stop praying. And we can gather that Nehemiah didn't start praying when disaster struck. And he didn't stop praying when he received favor from the king in chapter 2. But during that time, he also didn't stop doing his job or taking care of his family or his home during those four to six months when he was praying and fasting. We have reason to believe that he was living a praying life. That in the midst of his daily life, his attention remained focused on God. I know about you, but I find in my life that the times when I feel farthest from God are the times when I have stopped paying attention to him and let my focus be on all of the other things that are competing for my attention. I don't know what is competing for your attention today. I can imagine that there's busyness. Kids, aging parents, grief, 
pain and chronic illness, social media, politics, homework, family issues, perfectionism. And the list could go on, couldn't it? I'm afraid that we think that the spiritual thing to do is to empty our minds and live in a hermitage or an isolated place far away so that we can give Jesus our full and undivided attention. That's not what Nehemiah did, and that's not what Jesus asks us to do either. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the curtain was torn in two, and the place that divided the sacred and the secular was wide open. Jesus came back to his people after he died to show them that he was alive. He left and went to be with God so that he could intercede, he could pray on behalf of us so that we could have direct access to the creator God, the great and awesome God who keeps his promises. Jesus is our great high priest, and because of this, we can turn our attention to God anytime, anywhere, just like Michelle was talking about with the kids, and he hears us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because we can be confident of this this morning, no matter what distractions are going on in your life. God is always listening, always paying attention. And when we turn our focus to him, he is there ready and waiting. In Acts 17, Paul reminds the people in Athens, and he reminds us today, that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he isn't far from any one of us. Doesn't this describe the tension that we live in? That God is both paying attention to us and he asks us to turn our attention towards him. Do you know today that no matter how far you might feel from God, he is near to you? And he is paying attention to you like a new mom hears every cry and gurgle that her kid makes. The days we are living in are not all that different from Nehemiah's. We look around and we see cities that are burning and walls that have fallen down. Bad news can come at any time and it causes us to mourn and weep and also put our attention on a God who hears Maybe one small thing you could do this week is to set a reminder on your phone or computer to pray or set your alarm clock to go off five minutes early. A simple alert to pay attention. Last fall when we talked about praying for the persecuted church, I downloaded an app on my phone from an organization called Open Doors, and they minister to persecuted Christians around the world. I get these alerts on my phone from this app. And while I was working on the message for today, I had a notification that said, pray for breakthroughs in the fight against terrorists that Nigerians may live in peace again. 
As I sat at my dining room table and watched it snow, I felt a million miles away from Nigeria. But God is not. I opened the notification and began to read the full prayer request. And I couldn't help but think of Nehemiah and his prayers for Jerusalem. From January 31st to February 2nd, the association in Nigeria is asking for Christians around the world to fast and pray for God's intervention, for protection for soldiers, and for the family of a pastor who was killed by terrorists. The chairman of the Christian Association of Nigeria wrote, We are mourning the calamity has befallen us. We are mourning the lack of progress that we are experiencing in our country. We are mourning the bad things that are going on around us. We are asking God to hear our cries. Isn't this what Nehemiah was asking? Isn't this what prayer is all about? A conversation with God about what we're doing together? I don't have any fancy words to say. I simply trust that when I read this prayer request about Nigeria, when I read so many others, that when I come to God, when I turn my attention to him, he knows my needs. And he knows every one of our needs. He knows what you need before you even ask him. What he delights in is your attention. How could our relationship with God be strengthened if we started turning our attention toward him, if we embarked on a praying life? What would it take to pay attention to Jesus this week? God, as we turn our attention to you now, we are grateful to be in this place. But we know that you don't live in this place. You don't live in temples built by human hands. But you live with us in every moment and every breath. And I ask this week that you would turn our hearts towards you. That you would let your ears be attentive. That you would pay attention to our cries that we would spend time in your word and in prayer as we go about our days. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.